I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles now to the book of Romans, chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 25 to 33 today. And uh, we are almost through, as I mentioned last week, almost through with our study of the book of Romans. After this morning, Lord willing, we will have just one chapter left. And for those of you who have been with us through much of this journey through the book of Romans, you know that at uh, more than one point, I have pointed out that God in his providence has put us in the right place in Romans at just the right time. We started preaching through this book over two years ago now, and uh, you know whatever planning I might have had at the beginning of that uh, sermon series is I've long, long since been left in the dust, right? Um, but time and time again, we have found that where God has placed us in Romans has been um, particularly appropriate at that time. And the same is true again this week. This week, um, for, the, um, for Southern Baptists, is a Cooperative Program Sunday. And what that means is that this is the Sunday when we remind ourselves about the Cooperative Program, which is our way of working together to give to support uh, various ministries, important ministries that we are all a part of. So you may not realize this. In fact, you may have been in a Southern Baptist church for years and years and years without anybody ever really explaining this to you. But when you give uh, to a Southern Baptist church that participates in the cooperative program, and that should be all of them, um, what happens is, so like for our church, when you give to our church, 10% of everything you give here goes automatically into the cooperative program. And what that means is the, the 10% of what you give goes to our state convention, the Southern Baptist of Texas convention. And they keep, I think, 45% of that. And they send 55% on to the national convention, the Southern Baptist convention. And between our state convention and our Southern Baptist convention, that money goes to support the International Mission Board, missionaries all around the world. It goes to support the North American Mission Board, so the North missionaries right here in North America. It goes to support our six Southern Baptist seminaries, so you're helping to train pastors and worship leaders and youth pastors and others who want to learn how to study the Bible and uh, teach it to others and share it with others. Uh, it goes to support the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, which helps not only educate Southern Baptists, but also represent Southern Baptists at the highest levels, uh, advocating for religious liberty and, and Christian ethics, and all kinds of things. And so uh, we are able to do, I mean, we, for example, our little church, like how much could we do by ourselves to send out a missionary? Right? How, how much would it take for us to support even one missionary? I mean, that, that alone would be more than we could do. How many seminaries could we support? Right? How, how many professors could we help pay their salaries so that they could educate pastors? So that, very little that we could do by ourselves. But through the cooperative program, Tens of thousands of Southern Baptist churches come together to make all those things possible. And what Paul is talking about in Romans 15 is something very similar. He is talking about a gift 
that he has prepared, that he has orchestrated, that multiple churches have come together to contribute to in order to make a difference for a group of people that one church alone probably couldn't do much to help. So listen to what Paul has to say in Romans 15, starting in verse 25, about this gift. He's just told them that he's, the church in Rome, he's just told them that he's planning to come and see them. But there's one thing he's got to take care of first. Verse 25 says, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So again, Paul has told the church in Rome that he's planning to come and see them. After a long time of desiring to go to Rome, but not being able to go to Rome because there were other places uh, between him and Rome that he needed to reach first with the gospel. But now he's fulfilled that ministry and feels like he can go to Rome on his way to Spain. But he says, but I've got one thing I've got to do before I can come to Rome and from Rome travel on to Spain where no one has yet taken the gospel. Before I can do that, Paul says, I've got to go to Jerusalem. Right? Verse 25, at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. So he's going back to Jerusalem to uh, bring aid to the saints. Now don't let that word saints throw you off. Because in the New Testament, the word saint does not mean what people often mean by the word saint today. Often when people use the word saint today, they're talking about somebody who's been you know, set apart by the Roman Catholic Church as a special holy person who's performed a miracle and all those kinds. That's not what Paul means, right? Another way people use the word saint today is to mean you know, someone who's like extra super holy. Well, that person's just a saint. Sometimes they mean it sarcastically, and sometimes they mean it seriously. But in the New Testament, a saint is just a Christian. Because everybody who's in Christ has been set apart as holy because they are in Christ. And that's what the word saint means. It means a holy one. And all of us who are in Jesus are holy. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of who Christ is. And because we are in Christ, we are now set apart for God. We are saints. We are holy ones. So Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. And more specifically, he says in verse 26, that it's the poor believers in Jerusalem that he's going to take care of. He says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So he's going to Jerusalem 
with a gift specifically meant to minister to those in Jerusalem who are believers in Christ and who are poor. So these are Jewish Christians, Jewish believers in Jesus the Messiah, who are in particular need. And so Paul has brought together a group of Gentile churches to gather aid for these brothers in Christ to bring to Jerusalem. And uh, this reflects God's concern all throughout the Bible to care for the poor. Right? In, the, in the Old Testament, in the law, the uh, Israelites were instructed to give to their poor brothers, right? to lend generously to them, to not be uh, stingy or begrudging, right? but to, to give to those who are in need among them. And in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul talks about a trip he took to Jerusalem where he met with some of the apostles, with Peter and James and John. And uh, at the end of their meeting, not only did they confirm, yes, Paul, you keep preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter, he's going to keep preaching to the Jews. But at the end of that meeting, uh, Paul tells us they also encouraged Paul to remember the poor. And Paul says, that was the very thing I was eager to do. And that's what we see him doing here. He's eager to minister to the poor believers in Jerusalem by bringing them this financial gift. Now, the churches that are involved that he mentions here are the churches from Macedonia and Achaia. Now, unless you have studied first century geography, right, that, those words probably don't mean a whole lot to you. Honestly, they don't mean a whole lot to me. But if you flip to a, a map in the back of your Bible, uh, you can find these places and find out what churches, what cities were in these areas, and then some names will start to ring a bell. For example, in uh, Achaia was the city of Corinth. And so that's where Paul wrote 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians was to the church in Corinth. In Macedonia, which maybe sounds a little more familiar because that's, uh, we think of maybe Philip of Macedon and Greece and whatnot. In Macedonia was Philippi, where Paul wrote Philippians. Uh, Berea, where the Bereans were, that were more noble than some of the other Gentiles because when Paul preached to them, they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. Also the town of Thessalonica, where Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians to those churches. So these are areas we're familiar with, even though we're not familiar with the names, right? Corinth, Philippi, and Thessalonica. These churches that probably had some Jewish members, but would have been almost certainly predominantly Gentile, right? Or non-Jewish believers. These are the churches that Paul has called upon to give generously to this uh, gift that he is bringing to Jerusalem. In fact, he talks about this gift um, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. He gives some instructions to the church at Corinth there. And he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. 
So what Paul is telling the church at Corinth, again, almost certainly instructions for the same gift, is, hey, we need to send some aid to these believers in Jerusalem. So here's what I want you to do. Every week, right, as you prosper, every week set aside something for this gift so that it'll be ready when I come. Right? Make plans, give little by little along the way, and make this contribution for the saints. That's very similar, obviously, to our pattern of giving, right? That we have opportunity to give every Sunday as we come to church. But also, uh, the way the cooperative program works that we were talking about is every time you give to this church, you're also giving to the seminaries and the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board and all those other things. And part of what that does is it keeps those ministries from having to come, you know, to every church once a year and say, hey, we really need money for our seminary. We really need money for missionaries. We really need money for church planning. We really need money for college ministry. And, you know, every other week you probably have somebody in the church saying we need a special offering for this, a special offering for that. So instead of doing that, we have the cooperative program. We're just a portion of what you give every week goes to all those different ministries, so we're, we have very few um, special offerings throughout the year, right? We have some, like the Annie Armstrong Mission Offering and the, um, the uh, Lottie Moon Christmas Offering and so on, but those are very limited because we give week by week to the cooperative program. So uh, that's the gift that Paul's talking about here in Romans chapter 15. Now, <clears throat> why... Are they doing this? Why are they giving this gift? I mean, after all, Jerusalem is not exactly next door to Macedonia and Achaia. It's not a world away, but it's not close by either. And, again, these churches are mainly Gentile believers in Jesus, and obviously the believers in Jerusalem are going to be mainly Jews. So why does Paul call upon Gentile churches to give aid to Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Well, look at verse 27. He says, They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Why do they owe it to them? For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. What is he talking about there? Well, remember he said earlier in Romans chapter 15 that the Gentiles ought to glorify God for his mercy. And and the reason the Gentiles ought to glorify God for his mercy is because we had no claim on the promises that God had made to the Jews. The Gentiles weren't expecting the Messiah. The Gentiles weren't, weren't the heirs of the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. At least not by rights. And yet, Jesus came not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And all over the New Testament, we're told that the promises made initially to the Jews have been extended to the Gentiles as well. And that was God's plan from the beginning. Right? But now, God has brought Gentiles and Jews together so that those who are of the family of Abraham are not those who can trace their family tree back to Isaac and back to Abraham. Those who are part of the family of Abraham are those who believe like Abraham believed, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. Peter can write to believers who I think are mainly Gentiles in 1 Peter, 
and say to them, you're a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession. All terminology that was used in the Old Testament to talk about Israel, God's special chosen people. Now that same language can be applied to Gentiles because they have become heirs of the same promises, the same blessings that were promised to the Jews in the Old Testament. And so Paul's saying the Gentiles have, are now sharing in the promises, the blessings, the inheritance that God had promised to the Jews. And so since they are sharing in those spiritual blessings, since they, as Paul talks about it in Romans 11, they've been grafted into that olive tree. They're now sharing in that nourishing root. Since they are sharing in those spiritual blessings, they owe it to them to minister to them in material blessings as well. And the argument there is one from the greater to the lesser, right? The spiritual blessings are greater than material blessings. It's a much greater thing to have all the spiritual blessings in Christ, forgiveness and reconciliation with God and adoption into His family. All of those things are worth much, much more than money. And so if you've received those greater blessings, those spiritual blessings, Gentiles, Paul's saying, you owe it to the Jews to minister to them in material blessings when they're in need, because that's a much smaller thing. And so we know that there are brothers in Jerusalem who have material needs. We share in the spiritual blessings that were theirs, Shouldn't we share with them the material blessings that are ours? Don't we owe that to them? Think about it this way. Think about somebody who made a significant impact in your life, especially as you were growing up. Maybe your parents, maybe a coach, maybe a teacher, a mentor. Somebody who you think, I would not be the same person today if it wasn't for that person. If you found out that they were in some kind of dire financial need, wouldn't you feel like you owed it to them to help them? After all they had done for you, wouldn't you feel like it's a small thing for me to put a hundred bucks in the mail to help them out to get through this struggle? That I mean, they've done so much for me. Priceless things for me. It's a small thing for me to minister to their material need after they changed my life. That's the kind of thing that Paul is saying. We share in the spiritual blessings that didn't really belong to us, that belong to the Jews, but they've been extended to us. So now that we know that there are Jewish brothers who are in material need, we owe it to them to help them, to minister to them. Now, when Paul sets out to do that, He knows that not everything is likely to go the way he wants it to. And so he not only tells the church in Rome of his plan, but he asks them to pray for him as he seeks to carry this out. Right, Verse 28, he says, When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. In other words, once I get this 
gift dropped off in Jerusalem and delivered to the people who need it. Then I'll head to Rome. And then from Rome, I'm hoping to go to Spain. But again, he knows that this trip to Jerusalem might not go off as planned. Verse 30, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Now, we have a saying, right? No good deed goes unpunished. And the reason we have that saying is because sometimes when you try to do the right thing, bad things happen, right? And it doesn't mean you shouldn't do the right thing. It doesn't mean you were doing the wrong thing. It just means sometimes you go out of your way to help someone and they end up offended instead, right? Or you go out of your way to sacrifice in some way to do some extra thing and somewhere a wire gets crossed or something happens and you're like, here I am trying to help and I feel like I've made things worse, right? We've probably already all been in that situation. So here's Paul going back to Jerusalem when what he really would like to, you know, he wants to go to Rome, he wants to go to Spain, but he also wants to help these poor believers in Jerusalem. He wants to minister to them. And so here he comes bearing this gift, but he's saying to the church at Rome, I want you to pray for me. Please pray for me. Because I know that there are people in Judea, the, the region around Jerusalem, who are not believers in Jesus the Messiah. And they could cause me serious trouble. And so I'm, I want you to pray that God would deliver me from the unbelievers in Judea. Now, if you know what happened when Paul went to Jerusalem, you know why he asked them to pray for this. Because it didn't go well when Paul made his last trip to Jerusalem. He ended up in prison. He got arrested at the temple because of false charges that were brought against him. He stays in prison for, I don't know, I think it's a couple of years. Nobody wants to let him go, even though there's no reason to keep him there. And... Paul ends up getting to go to Rome, but not as a free man. He goes to Rome as a prisoner. He ultimately, he had to appeal to Caesar because it was the only way he could get out of Israel and and get things to move forward. We don't really know for certain if he ever made it to Spain or not. We know he made it to Rome. That's where he, the book of Acts ends with Paul in prison under house arrest in Rome. And we don't know for sure what happened after that, because that's all the Bible tells us. And we also know that Paul's prayer request here was answered, at least in part, because while he was a prisoner in Jerusalem, some Jews hatched a plot to assassinate Paul. But Paul's nephew got word of it, And brought word to Paul, who sent Paul to the tribune to let him know about the plot, who then snuck Paul out of town before this plot could go down to have Paul killed. 
So here's Paul just trying to do a good deed, right? Just trying to help some people. Just trying to uh, probably, uh, as some have pointed out, you know, build some bridges between the Gentile churches and the Jewish churches through this, this gift as well. Trying to build and promote some unity. And what happens? He gets falsely accused. He gets thrown in jail. Sits in jail for however long. Has to appeal to Caesar and go to Rome. Not the way he had intended to go. Though he does at least get to go there. But he also says, Pray that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Pray that the people I'm bringing this gift to will receive it in the spirit in which it's offered. Because giving to people is a tricky thing, too. Right? You, you can mean to do good and, again, sometimes spark offense. And that's not what you're trying to do. That's not what Paul is trying to do. He wants this to be received and accepted the way it is intended. He says, so that, verse 32, by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. I want to come to you knowing this work that I've been preparing for probably years has finally been brought to completion, has been received uh, and, and welcomed by those it was intended for, and that I've been delivered from those who might seek to do me harm. And then he ends with a prayer, a blessing for the church in Rome. He says, may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. That's what he wants for himself, right? And that's what he wants for the believers in Rome. So, this is a little, you know, historical passage, so to speak, about something Paul was doing 2,000 years ago that, in one way, has no real bearing on our lives, right? You can't contribute to this gift. It's already, it's already been delivered. It's way past. But Paul, by his work, by his effort, reminds us of things that do affect our lives today. Reminds us that God wants his people always to care for the poor. And not only for the poor, but the Bible says it's, a, it's appropriate for us to care especially for fellow believers. Right? In Galatians 6, he says, do good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. So it's appropriate for Paul to arrange this gift for the poor, appropriate for it to be specifically for believers in Jerusalem. And he also gives us the sort of the, the precedent, the biblical foundation for all of our cooperative giving, for all of our efforts to come together as believers, not only in one church, but multiple churches together to do together more than we can do on our own. One of the great blessings about being part of a Southern Baptist church is the ability to give to so many things at one time. To minister to so many people through so many causes, so many forms of gospel-centered aid and ministry by putting one dollar in one place. So let's remember and rededicate ourselves to God's desire for us to be generous people. As Jesus has been generous to us, as God has been generous to us, that we seek to be generous to others. That we give for the good of others, 
and for the glory of God that we give together and that we give seeking not only to do good, but to see the gospel preached all around the world. That's what Paul was aiming to do, and that's what we are still aiming to do today. Let's pray.